0: Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titanist. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. Welcome to Trenos in a Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cameron Eileen Eline Maharet Jarrell, aka Trano. Sit with your whole chest, or I will bed down your father old country way. This is Trenos in a Lived Experience, the show that is really, really, really tired of y'all taking part in disrespect and then separating yourselves from it. Today's episode is White Progressive Pattern of Harm. Before we get into that, let's talk about what the show is brought to you by. It's always brought to you by The Meeting of Marijuana and Music. Today's episode is brought to you by the song Milk Toast, performed by Helmet. Get into that shit. Really good band. Really underrated. Um, It's got that, like, mid-90s feel that I'm, like, synonymous with. And today's strain um, is Jealousy. Uh, this is the actually the Leafly Strain of the Year for 2022. Um, it's a hybrid weed strain made from Crossing Sherbert BX1 with Gelato 41. Jealousy is known for its balancing effect. A lot of people who have smoked this, especially myself, um, have reviewed this strain, and it makes you feel mentally relaxed but physically energetic. Um, I would suggest to people who um, are feeling high stress, especially in the medicinal community, um, it's got like a rich, uh, earthy texture and, 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 and taste to it. And like that fuel, like that fuel, like induced, like funk that you normally smell kind of reminiscent of like standing at the gas station and huffing shout out to all the huffers from 1998. Let's get into the episode. Um, so let's be really real. This is not a conversation that I have not had before. It just seems like it has to be updated over time because there's no real progression going on regarding the pattern of harm. And what is the pattern of harm, you say? Let's get into it and we're going to go down um, a list compiled by a people of color that describes the exact pattern that we're talking about. So first off, I want to say this with my whole chest, because most of the daily like racial harm that is caused to you on a daily basis is most likely caused by people who would describe themselves as progressives. They boil down your pain um, to like intention. They'll do something cause you like harm. And then they immediately fall back on the, it wasn't my intention to do that but there's no education afterwards. There's no like education from them. They demand it from you. uh, You'll have to deal with tears and all those other things. But I don't want to jump off subject yet. Let's talk about the list in its entirety and then we'll break everything down. Downplaying white advantage. Progressives have this uncanny thing of seeing and knowing what white privilege is, but still boiling it down and, 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 and taking it for granted that they still benefit from advantage. That they still have this privilege, even though they mildly acknowledge it. Romanticizing Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And we'll get into that in a second. We're going to go down um, each one of these. Um, Pretending white segregation just happened. Like, there's no part that white people played in segregation happening. Expecting BIPOC people to teach them about racism. Their fear of carefulness. They use carefulness as a crutch to learning. They also use it as a crutch to saying what's on their mind, air quotes, I'm throwing air quotes, to saying what's on their mind when they're in those moments where they are most likely um, invoking their white privilege and, and internal racism. Feeling immobilized by shame. Often they sit back and they think about what they've done over the year and how other people might see them, because the fear is not of being racist, it is of being seen as racist. And uh, most likely uh, all of us have know what this is. I've spoken about this in past episodes, fatigue. Allies have the ability to become fatigued during battle, uh, during the push, during the progression or the process forward, they get to take a break. And we're supposed to just allow it because we're supposed to understand that they've been through a lot through the years. Like we haven't been through racism our entire fucking lives or transphobia, our entire fucking lives declaring the battle over because of the minimal effort that they've put in. So once like a small feat is reached, they decide that it's time to retire and go home until they feel shamed enough to come back out and start the cycle all over again. So let's go back to the top of the list. All of these things on this list, in my mind, are a rush for them to prove that they are not racist. If you consistently have to prove that you are not racist, you're racist. If you have to prove that you're not transphobic constantly, it's because you're transphobic. A lot of of people do the bare minimum. And once they get to that bare minimum... They're like, oh, well, I did this thing, so I can't possibly be racist. Tell me if you've heard this before from a progressive. I can't be racist. My children are black. I can't be transphobic. I have trans friends. I can't be homophobic. My best friend is queer. That's like proof. Those are props that, that they use people as props to prove they are not racist. And it's a sudden rush. The moment someone confronts them about anything that they might've done that might've been offensive or something that they might've needed them like, Hey, take, take a, a, a deeper look into what you just said and what you just did and, and do some investigating on where that came from. The minute you do that, even in the, the slightest tone, even in the, the most comforting tone, it's perceived as aggression towards them. And then they rush, to prove to you that they are not any of the isms, xenophobic, uh, misogynistic, racist, transphobic. uh, They rush for those things. Downplaying white advantage. Now we get it. You're an ally with a capital A. You're wearing your Letterman jacket every day. But we've spoken to you about white privilege. We've had long conversations about where it comes from and, and how it works in society. And there are still instances where you'll downplay it. So I had a friend that I spoke about last episode who is no longer my friend. Um, Shout out to you um, once again. Go fuck yourself. I explained to them how it's not so easy to gain access to the city as they would think. As a trans person of color, it's a lot harder to be in certain areas of this highly segregated city known as Rochester. And if you don't think it's segregated, you're a fucking idiot and you should open your eyes. Oh, I've explained in past episodes about the history of Irondequoit, Irondequoit being one of the most racist and segregated spaces in the Rochester area. This friend wanted to take me to a yacht club thing. Totally out of my element. Totally out of my element. One, two, all eyes were on me and it felt very uncomfortable. And then it's very reminiscent. This area I wouldn't have been allowed in or even near without them. And when I brought that up, they totally were like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. I can, co- I can go there anytime I want to. Like, it's like they almost totally forgot that they are white and cis and heteronormative. And because they could not let go of the fact that they are all of those things and I am not, they totally didn't, like, see the advantage in being a white, cis, heteronormative person in that area. That's the kind of shit that I'm talking about when I say they downplay their advantage. It's easy for you to move from one space to another because most spaces are built for you. They're built to please you. They're built to entertain you. They are centered around you. And it's very important as a person who considers themselves progressive to be consistently aware of that. If you're not being consistently aware of it, it's because you're obtuse and you probably slacking on your advocacy and allyship. Asshole. Romanticizing. All right, let's talk about the breakdown for what romanticizing is to me. I'm not going to give you some Oxford Dictionary thing because y'all, a lot of progressives, y'all get stuck on definitions and y'all don't realize that definitions change over time and nuance are nuanced by time itself. They're nuanced by events, by events that happen primarily to brown people when we're talking about certain words. I am often described as ferocious strong-willed, relentless, a, a fierce advocate. But they don't know anything else about me. They don't know how intelligent I am. They don't know how caring I am. They don't know how sensitive I can be. They don't know how how I'm like moved to tears by art or that I'm totally enamored with music. All I know is buzzwords. And these buzzwords are given from one progressive to the next, which romanticizes what I am, which then makes them use me in certain ways. The romanticism of my blackness and my trans identity then lends to, well, I know this trans person who's all of these things and might be able to help you because I won't. They never talk about me in depth. They always use buzzwords to describe me. Just like when you're standing in a room full of progressives and they decide that they're going to say things like, we put black and indigenous women of colors needs first, and then they don't. We respect this, land that we're standing on, knowing that it is stolen land, but we don't fight for it. We respect the fact that disabled people have abilities and are just as needed in this world as we are, but then they don't push to help them at all. It's the romanticism. It's saying all the right things at the right time. It's never any action behind any of it. Pretending white segregation is not a white people problem. To deny the barriers and the borders built by your ancestors and then upheld by you is the most insidious thing I've ever seen in this city. And then when we do things like the black, uh, like the the black girl TikTok train, the black girl follow train or the black man follow train, when we do things like that, then you holler segregation like you didn't create segregation. Like y'all don't have the blueprint for segregation. It's really remedial and obtuse to call us out for wanting spaces of our own when you told us that's all we can have. And then once we do that, you always invade those spaces. There's not a space designated for any minority group that has not been infiltrated by by self-centering white people. And that includes progressives. Think about like how many times you've heard the conversation with a progressive person, seemingly progressive, about why we would have a need for historically black colleges, or why we would have a need for historically like uh, Jewish colleges, or why we would have a need for spaces specifically built for uh, black women, why we would have a need for spaces built specifically for LGBTQ people. It's because white supremacy often centers white people and they feel the need to involve themselves in everything, even things that they are set to put asunder. You don't want to really commune with us. You don't really want to sit down and hear what we have to say. You want to take over the space and make it about you. And that's, another episode that i've had i touched on that episode when we talked about the invasion of white women in the queer spaces i want to say it was like 6 or 7 episodes ago just go check out my catalog if you want to listen to that i really got a bunch of good shit in the background and you should check it out um at the end of the day i feel like i have to say these things a lot and it's very tiring and it also like runs me like it runs the energy from me and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person of color or my uh, or marginalized group member who feels this. It is a constant thing to have to worry about your spaces being invaded and then you being accused of doing something that they created. Segregation is something that was completely created by hierarchical white societies. You didn't want us mingling with you. You were too afraid that we were going to come and take over your spaces. But then when we do the same thing, even sometimes allowing you in, once we allow you in, you just take over. You just take over. Then it's the expecting, even in this show, this show is free. You don't have to pay to listen to this show. I provide you an education from the perspective of a trans woman of color and power in modern times. And it is given to you freely. It is out there. I'm not getting paid by Spotify for what I do. I just do it. And you don't take the time to listen to it. But then when you see me in public and you hear some of the adverts or you see some of the marketing or you just stumbled across my Facebooks or social medias, you want to have a discussion about things that I've already discussed. I don't owe you an education. I've provided you one, but I don't owe you one. And if I if we were talking about an owning or a, a a a oneness where I have to give you an education that requires capital, and I hate capitalism, but if you want if you want to regard yourself as like a student of mine, then you got to pay for it. And generally, the pay that I ask for is that your allyship become accomplishment. That's too high a price for you to pay, though, because that means you have to be completely. Um, compelled to do the work on a daily basis without me standing over you without me constantly reminding you it has to become something that you want to do not something that you're told to do carefulness you often hear in conversations when you're having a discussion with a, uh, any kind of progressive when it comes to my marginalized issues that I'm trying to understand, but I just want to be careful because I don't want to offend anyone. Yes, you do. You definitely do. It's just you don't want to be you don't want to be corrected for it when it happens. That's why you preface everything when I'm trying to be so careful and I feel like I'm walking on eggshells and I feel like I can't say what I want. That urge to say what you want is the racism, transphobia and xenophobia like trying to escape your body. That's what it is. It's deep down inside. You want to be able to say whatever you want with no repercussions. It's not carefulness. It's fear of repercussions. And if you're walking around fearful of the repercussions, then maybe you should do some homework. You should look inside and make sure that the things that you're saying come from a place of wanted education, come from a place of... of of understanding because if you're going to spew some talking point that has been regurgitated for the last 50 fucking years, you're going to get fucking checked for it. There ain't no running around and ain't no sidestepping it. You feel immobilized by shame. Once you're corrected, you get to do things like all the stuff I did for you guys. And this is how I'm being treated. I just won't do it anymore. That's the whitest ally thing going right now. I worked with a group of people within my own uh, nonprofit and I hope every last one of you are fucking listening to this. When we started Legion, there were 65 fucking people in the group. Mind you, Legion was started and aimed to help people of color and indigenous people within the Rochester city limits. Legion was immediately overrun by white progressive allies. Most of them were trans people. They were white trans people. And the moment any of them felt called out for anything that they might have said wrong or done wrong or stepped on someone's toes doing, they exited the group. They didn't they didn't better themselves. They didn't take the correction and, and, and use it. They didn't sit there and like sit. They didn't let it sit with them. They immediately were like, I'm taking the things that I am was willing to do for this group and I'm taking them away. And then I see them walking around Rochester, New York, like ghosts. And when they see me, they want to explain why they had to leave. I don't want to fucking hear it. I don't care. I already know why you left. It's that whole white people get upset and take the ball and go home syndrome. That's what that is. Is that you felt shamed into inaction. And now you want to explain that inaction to me like it's not totally predictable. As much as... White progressives act like they're not a monolith. They are very predictable. If you're listening right now and you're a person of color, everything that I've said, you've seen before. Everything that I've said, you've predicted in another progressive before. You saw it coming before it happened. It It makes us really weary when we're in spaces trying to build community and a singular white progressive shows up because you know that half the shit on this list is going to happen you know it without a shadow of a doubt. As much as they want to treat us like a monolith, as much as they want one of us to speak for all of us, they literally project the exact same progression on this train of harm every time. If you think I'm lying, hit me up on my socials, which will be on top of uh, the description for this episode. Hit me up on my socials and tell me how. I'll wait. I know like it's not, I know it's not going to be a lot of brown people doing it. I know specifically that my my inbox is going to be flooded by progressives who feel harmed because I called them out. Good, good, good. Now, do white progressives have allies in their bullshit games? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, often problematic progressives are accompanied by coons, charlatans, Benedict Arnolds. They're often... like. Aligned with problematic black progressives. And what they'll do is they'll reinforce the bullshit that they're saying. They'll reinforce the actions that they've made. They want us to cobble them. We have to speak nicely to them. We have to do all these weird things for them. I I brought that up to say that they don't do this thing alone. And for you progressive uh, people of color that are helping them do it, you are also on notice. Everyone sees you and you are just as predictable as they are in your pursuit for clout in your pursuit uh, for social um, advantage to move up the ladder. You would besmirch your own kind and and invalidate their issues with white progressives to bolster some kind of social capital for yourself And we all fucking see you, Chicken George. We all see you. All right. Let's talk about fatigue. Now, I explained. Because this episode is going to be way shorter than the normal episode. Because I don't have a lot of energy to give to repeating myself. Let's talk about fatigue. I spoke about ally fatigue in one of my inaugural episodes. So you'll have to go back in the catalog to search for that. But ally fatigue is not a real thing. It's a perspective. It's one of the ways that progressives take advantage of not seeing their own advantage. It is a privilege to think that in the middle of a fight, you can scream timeout and then go home. No no minority group, no marginalized person has the luxury to be like, oh, well, we got that one L in the middle of this battle. I'm really tired. My cat's sick. I got to go home. We don't get to rejuvenate ourselves through sabbatical. We don't have that luxury. We just don't. And while that's setting in, give me just one second. I'm going to hit my joint because I am really tired of talking about this shit. Let to me be totally honest with you. I'm super tired of talking about it. Today we're going to be smoking a joint. We're going to hit a little bit of that jealousy. You want it to sink in with people. You really do. But then your 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 commentary is turned into aggression. And I, I've had that discussion as well. Me saying these things to you on this microphone right now are going to get me accused of aggression. But I'm not the one who's going to send death threats. I'm not the one that's going to tell people that I should be silenced. I'm not the one who's going to make like vitriol comments about how I look or how I present. I'm not the one that's going to call me blackie or nigger. I'm not the one who's going to do those things to anyone else. Those things are going to happen to me. So what I'm saying is not only pivotal, is not only valid, but it's constantly being downplayed by people because they don't want to see what they put others through. And normally, the death threats, the, dis- the the dysphoric comments about my the way I look, the sound of my voice, people making threats about doxing my home, normally that would scare the shit out of someone else. Not me. There's nothing on this planet that you plan on doing that hasn't happened to me already or isn't something that I've wished for over time. Let that sink in. I'm going to hit my joint. So with that being said. Yeah, the threats take a take a toll on me. Yeah, I have dysphoria from some of the things that I hear. And then I realize where it's coming from. It's coming from the people that I exactly aimed for. I aimed at you and I hit. And that's why you're upset. I sit in a lot of spaces where I have to like go head to head with wannabe progressives and their and their coon allies. And I've 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 come to terms with the fact that like I don't need to be friends with you in these spaces. I don't need anything from you. No social capital, nothing like that. At at this point, it's a fight for my life, and the only benefits that I see coming from it, it will be passed on to the generation that comes after me. It'll be passed on to those who I hope never experienced what I had to experience. Even those spaces where I'm being silenced by other black colleagues for the sake of white progressives. Like we see what you're doing. You're not slick. We hear, like I hear it in your voice. Once again, you're not slick. Tell me that the pattern is wrong. Tell me that this list of things that we just talked about today is is, is obtuse. Tell me that I'm making it up. Some of the most harmful people in this movement are the people who assign themselves ally. You don't get to assign yourself allyship. It's something that is earned, and once it is earned, you should be moving towards accomplices. You should be moving towards becoming an accomplice. If you're not moving towards becoming an accomplice, you are a hindrance to the movement and you are part of the problem. I don't know how many times that scholars and and, and other trans people of color and other people in in the BLM movement have had to say it. I don't know how many times people have been like, hey, like the biggest problem with this movement is that once we involve like oppressors, oppression happens. Once we... Invalidate others for the sake of social capital, we then become oppressors. It's not a huge jump. I'm not saying anything out of pocket. I'm saying what you're too afraid to say because you want a space built for you by them, and I want to destroy everything that they own, including capitalism. You want a seat of power, you want a political committee chair, or you want to be deemed as one of the safe ones. I want them to fear me and my kind always. I want them to fear that there will be retribution for the things that they continuously do. I want them to know that there's somebody constantly watching them. I want them to know that there's somebody who does not fear any repercussions that they have sent down the pipe because we survive. I don't want any space that they've built for me. I don't want them giving me anything. I'll take what's mine and I'll take what's ours. And when it comes down the pipe, and all this patting them on the back and rubbing their shoulders and wiping their tears doesn't work out for you, you can come back. Because you'll never be one of them. If your aim is to be a pet, congratulations. But I can't be tempered down. I can't be silenced, and I will not make myself smaller for them or you. They do not know what we are capable of because they refuse to see what we're capable of. They think that we have to sit at these tables and be civil with them. They are not owed civility. They think that we're gonna constantly hold their hand through our trauma. I will not. For any colleague of mine, for any colleague of yours that's doing that kind of shit for them, to to you, it's time for you to stand up, play them this episode, suggest it to them. They'll get it. I got this uncanny thing where I talk into a mic and then my voice reaches through the digital airwaves and grabs those exact people by the neck. And that's why my inbox stays full of death threats. I know that we've accomplished my goal if my inbox hits an extra hundred after this episode. I have more death threats than I do Instagram followers. Nothing you do is going to stop this train called Trano's. I'm on fire. Everything I'm saying is hitting. Tell me I'm lying. So you go home and you listen to this and you look, listen to it over and over and over again and tell me that you don't start seeing the pattern around you. And with that being said, Goofy, my name is Cambrayne Maharet Maharajarel, A.K.A. Tranos, and I don't dance, Carlton. This is Tranos in the lived experience. The show that sees the matrix. покарение.